All right. We're continuing our series in the book of Exodus, and they've asked me to speak on chapters 9, 10, and 20, but we didn't have three weeks. I have to do it just this morning. So we're looking at it through a little filter, which I'll ask, uh, which I'll explain in a minute. But the first thing we want to do is... Have I got it right? Not yet? Oh, he's not ready. Okay. The first thing we want to do... A little bit more interactive stuff. Describe God in one word. If you had one word to describe God, what would it be? One word. Anyone? Love. Love, Love. yes, good. Awesome, yeah? Mm, okay. Well, there's a few good words there. Now here's the, the next one. What, what if the word that you want to use is to describe God uniquely, like it couldn't be applied to anybody or anything else? What would that word be? It's got to be the word holy. When you think about it, when you think about I mean, I know God is love. But, you know, you could apply that word love to a lot of people, a lot of situations. Awesome. I, I believe that's God's word, I do. But, you know, we use the word awesome in all sorts of ways and it's sort of lost its, its power, hasn't it? But the word holy, the word holy, it can't be used of anyone else or of anything else unless it's really associated with God, like we heard about the holy, the holy word. You think about that, holy. That's God's word. Now, what does the word mean? Well, it means to be set apart. Different. That's what it means, different. And God is different from anything. But in particular, back in the, in the Old Testament, God wanted to make sure that people knew he was different from all the other gods with the little g. All the other gods, the Roman gods, the Greek gods who were warlike, adulterous, spiteful and selfish. Have a look at the history of those, some of those gods and the pagan cults. You know, they were bloodthirsty and, and, and promiscuous and they were fickle, weren't they? Because those gods, if you didn't do the right thing, boom, that's what people believed anyway. But the God who is holy the God that we've read about this morning in Exodus. He's a God who is a God of mercy and of justice, a God who cares personally. That's important to understand that. Personally, for each of his followers as individuals, you know, this God cares about you, Marlene, individually, cares about what's happening in your life cares about what's going to happen tomorrow. This God is a God who sacrifices of himself for our benefit. Very unusual. If you look at the the historical records of all these legends of ancient gods of different civilizations, this makes this holy God unique. He's a benevolent God. He's a God who truly loves in the deepest sense. 
is a God of peace. When we look at the scriptures, we we get that that idea that he's a God of peace and he's a God who gives life. That's why he's different. That's why the the name, the word holy can only be attributed to our God. And he sets himself apart from all the other gods. In Leviticus chapter 11, I've got to get that, hang on. Wrong, wrong one. Leviticus chapter 11, it says there, and he says this, the, Lord, the God says this, therefore be holy because I am holy. So God attributes that word holy to himself. I'm holy, he says. And would you argue with that? You couldn't argue with that. You can't argue that God is holy. But Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 and it says it twice in those two verses he says therefore be holy because I'm holy that's a tough ask isn't it that's a tough ask and for a long time as a young Christian I thought that's a bit unfair that's an unfair expectation for God to ask me to be holy because he's holy. I don't know. Let's see. The little filter that we're using this morning is the God who is holy, that his people would be holy. That's how we're looking at these two chapters. There's no time to go through all those commandments, but I wanted to read them to you because I always get a bit behind in this. The God who is holy. I wanted to read them to you so that there there is a reference point. We're going to make mention of them. But the God who is holy. I don't know if you can remember this far back, but in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, we read this a while ago. This is what God said. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the peop- out the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That's what God said to Moses at the burning bush. One of the things I love about God, one of the many things I love about God, is that God keeps his promises. I don't know if you noticed what it said there at the start of uh, verse 3 of chapter 19. Then Moses went up to God and God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And before that, so it's verse 2 I'm looking for, before that it says, uh, After they had set out, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. They had camped out in front of the mountain. Now, this is the same mountain. The mountain that, that Moses was on when he saw God in the burning bush was Mount Herod, also known as Mount Sinai. What has happened? A lot has happened. We had the Passover, we had the plagues, we had the, the nation of uh, Egypt practically destroyed the army anyway. And here they are. In front of the very mountain that God said they would be to worship. 
And that's really interesting. You see, if you want to read the account of, of the, the, the nation of Israel, the early, early uh, origins of it, you want to read from here, from chapter 19, right through to Numbers 10 and 10. It gives you the account of what happened to them, what they did, what God had said to them in an 11-month period. And it's interesting. It's very significant, them being camped in front of this mountain, Mount Sinai, because it's there they received the law, the Ten Commandments. It's there that Moses shared what God's desire was for them regarding this law. It's there that the nation of Israel, the workers, were told to construct the tabernacle during this time while they were in front of this mountain. It was there, I don't know if you ever read through all those uh, books, but the, the, the intricate details that God had given for the, for the furnishings of the tabernacle to the last detail. Amazing. It was in front of this mountain at this time that the priesthood was established, the Aaronic priesthood, and the instructions were given to, to them what their role was and how it was to be uh, confined to, to one particular tribe. It was at this time that the people were numbered and it was at this time that God had organised the tribes for the march to Kadesh Barnea where they, they were just in view of the promised land. That's when the spies were, were sent out from there and it was at this time in front of the mountain. And what did God say to Moses? You will worship God on this mountain. So why did God rescue Israel? Well, God had a reason to, for rescuing Israel. It was a different reason that the Israelites had. And, and it, it's at this particular time that God had a desire to reveal to them what his purposes was for them. Now, it's, very, it's an interesting parallel. Why, why did the, the Israelites want God to rescue them? Well, when we read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it was because they were slaves. They cried out to God because they were slaves. They didn't say, God, we want to worship you. God, we want to live for you. None of that. They were slaves in bondage, hard taskmasters. What were they thinking about? Me. I'm in a tough spot here. Help me, God. You go to Matthew chapter 14, verses 29 to 35, you have the, the Apostle Peter. You know, the little scene, you know, the storm, and come out here, Peter. He gets out of the boat. Before too long, he's sinking. And Peter says, Lord, save me. What was he interested? Was, was Peter thinking to himself, you know, the Lord's a, a wonderful uh, religious leader, uh, I need to dedicate my life to him. I'd like to serve him. I'd, I'd like to be a part of this, this new way of worship. <laughs> what was Peter thinking about? I am drowning, Lord save me. In both instances, there was another purpose. The Lord, when he saw Peter, said, well, he's not drowning. <laughs> I've got a lot of work for this man to do. He is not drowning. So the Lord saved him. And here we have God exactly the same thing, same situation. Here is the people who are thrilled to bits that they're not slaves anymore. But that's not the reason that God saved them. 
but now that his people would be holy. He's ready to tell them what they were to become. They were slaves. They were slaves. But now they're they're to be his special people. We, We read about that in Exodus 6. They were to be a blessing to the whole world. Do you think about that? A blessing. We sang about that, didn't we? A blessing to the whole world. That's Genesis 12 and 3. The promises of God. And here we have, as I said, an example of how God keeps his promises. Most of the time we don't even notice that. We don't notice that, that God keeps his promises. The first thing that I noticed when I was reading this, thing, this passage here is that when God calls, calls Moses and he says, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. He says, he says um, now if you obey me fully and keep my commands, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession and so on. It, it, it just jumps out at me because I remember someone pointing out to me that all of God's blessings, all of God's blessings are conditional. Every single one. Every single one. God emphasised this here, didn't he? He says straight up to Moses, he says, if you obey my commands fully, if you keep my covenant, then, then you will be a treasured, uh, treasured possession, then you will be a kingdom of priests, then you will be a holy nation. That is the desire of God here, that they are a treasured possession, that they would become a kingdom of priests and that they would be a holy nation. That's his desire. Chosen by God for a purpose, set apart for a special work, to be a blessing to others, other nations around them. That is the desire of God, the purpose of God. But it was conditional. A treasured possession. A treasured possession. They were chosen not because there was anything really special about them or they were better than any other tribe round about or they had done anything that was worthy of merit. They were treasured because God was going to work through them, like the vessel thing that we sang. That's why I think that should be our anthem. God chose the nation of Israel to do a work for him. A work for God. Do you know in John chapter 4 verse 22, the Lord himself said, salvation, what? That's it. Thank you very much. I love when people help me out. It's from the Jews. It's from the Jewish. They don't do the salvation. We know what it is. It's because of the Jew. The Lord was a Jew. The promise was given to the Jews and it was the Jewish nation that had the the responsibility to tell the nations of God and of his salvation that was to come. What a wonderful privilege that is. Huh? Think about that. Keep that in the back of your mind. A kingdom of priests to act as mediators of God's grace and mercy to the nations round about and a holy nation set apart for God 
and 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 they they're, they're to to live as a people who were different like him different from around about why was God holy because he was so different from all the other gods around about is it, are you starting to get a picture in your head about what God is expecting he says be holy for I am holy it's starting to make a bit more sense now isn't it a little bit more sense I hope I'm explaining it right in Leviticus that little phrase, God says, be holy for I am holy six times. He says that six times. Could you just turn to First Peter, please? First Peter in the New Testament. We're going on about the nation of Israel, aren't we? And we're looking at a book in the Old Testament. We don't want to have this think, thought in our mind, this is about them back there, way back in the Old Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Have a look over the page, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And and you you just get the impression, don't you? You get the impression that in 1 Peter... It's as if Peter thought to himself, I think I'll just copy something out of the Old Testament to send off in this letter. That's the impression that you get because the parallels are unbelievable. He could be just quoting from the Old Testament. In fact, that's what he did. He quoted from the Old Testament. He wasn't repeating himself. He was just re-emphasising God's desire. God's desire had not changed and it has not changed. It's still there today. It's not a coincidence. God still wants the nations, the world, to get to know him. Today, in 2016, same desire of God. God's desire is to save the world, that none should perish, but that all come unto him. Same desire. God wants to bless mankind. It hasn't changed. Things haven't changed at all as far as God is concerned. The only thing that's changed, he's not using Israel anymore. God is using the New Testament believer, you and me, I know, I know. Very poor, (laughs) broken vessels, absolutely. Very poor workers we are. But he's using us as the vehicle. That's what the church is. 
It's a vehicle by which God can make himself known. Did did we, did, we just read that, didn't we, in First Peter? That's, that, that's what the apostle told us. Exactly the same. And something else too. Oh. We were predestined for this. In Romans chapter chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those, not those, for those, us, for those God had foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That's interesting, isn't it? That makes us different from the people that heard it first up in, in Exodus. They had to do everything in their own strength, in their own power. But we do things through Christ and in Christ and because of Christ and we're to become like him. One of the things I love about scripture is the, the, the way it describes things and one of, the, one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that is in within us is described in a name that he has and it says that we have in us the spirit of Jesus Christ. I love that. He's the one that helps me become Christ-like and he's helping you too. The spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. The people camped in front of the mountain. They didn't have that. Didn't have that. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the law. He's the embodiment of what Peter talked about. That's what the name holy means, to live a certain way, God's way, to live like God would live. Now, how would he live? How would we know? How would those poor people at the foot of Mount Sinai know how God would live? He, they had to give them the, he had to give them a little list of ten things. But you and I, we're so more privileged. I'm going through the, uh, uh, an epistle. First, first, uh, first John with, a, with another little company of people. We just started it last week. This is what John said. Listen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have, uh, have looked at, and our hands have touched. They're talking about the Lord. They're talking about the Word. They're talking about God. If you read, if you were to read the, the other chapters in, in Exodus, you'll notice that the people were told to stay away, don't come near. They never had that closeness with God. They were never able to see God's holiness in action. We have. We've seen it. You know, the Ten Commandments are ten simple guides that, uh, that, that were to help people understand how to live a practical, holy life. Very Ten simple things. Not a big, long list, just ten. And the Lord, when he was here, he lived out the law, didn't he? Perfectly. Perfectly. It looked simple. It looked simple. When we read through, uh, I've just got to go back to Exodus now. When we read through that little passage again and we see the next bit in the narrative, when Moses went back and told them these things, they said, we will do everything the Lord said. We will do it. We'll do it. Absolutely. And you would say that. 
If the Lord was to come here this morning, he would stand here and he would t- give us an instruction. What would you say? Nah, not too big. No, you wouldn't say that. I'll do it, Lord. That's what they did. And, in, and then, you know, they sort of jumped the gun, I thought, a bit because they didn't know exactly what was required of them. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. Chapter 20, verse 1. What is, how does it start? And God spoke all these things. You know, the Ten Commandments were designed to lead Israel into practical holiness. It was to help them see the nature of God. You know, the Word became flesh. Did they really? We, we can see it. It was designed to reveal God's righteousness, but it couldn't give righteousness. In Christ, I am righteous. The law was like a mirror. It reveals dirt. When you look in the mirror, you can see that you know you look dirty. But can you wash? Can the mirror cleanse you? No, you can't wash in the mirror. You know, the law, in the end, it caused the people that were trying to live it out to cry out for mercy. The people of God today, we praise God's name. It's to reveal sin. It never provides forgiveness. God, the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The law condemns, but Christ gives life. It emphasized, the law emphasized the distance of man from God. But today, you and I can experience God dwelling amongst us. The moral content of the law still remains today. All of it. It's part of God's holy nature, his character. It hasn't gone away. A lot of people think, oh, that's Old Testament. It's not. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated many times by the Lord in the epistles, uh, by the Lord and in the epistles for the church to obey and honour. All nine of them. The only one that's not there is the one about the Sabbath. Holiness equals difference. To be different. I'm indebted to old brethren men, teachers of the word of God. They taught me how to read God's word. In Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, I used to get hung up on the word holy. I have to be holy. But the word, the key word there is be. Be holy. Two letters. It's a verb. God says, Raf, be holy. It's possible. It doesn't say try your very hardest to be holy. Give it a go. You know? You should be holy. It doesn't say. He says, be holy. Be different. Live differently. Think differently. That's why I love that hymn. Change the attitude, change the mindset, change your values. That's holiness. Have you got that? Salvation requires no work, no effort, only belief. 
Trusting in Jesus Christ, that's all that's required. What did the nation of Israel have to do to become free from sin? What did they do? Have we learned anything from Exodus? What did they do? Nothing. They did nothing. God did it all. They were saved by God. And then he leads them to Mount Sinai. He says, now, now that you're free, Birdcage, now that you're free, what are we going to do? That's what happened to you and me, didn't it? God saved us through Jesus. What did we do? Nothing. But now he says, Raph, be holy. There's stuff I've got to do. Holiness requires action. It requires change. It requires dedication. It requires perseverance. My time's up. But I have, to, I have to finish with this. Here we go. Those people said, we will do everything the Lord has said. It was a great sentiment. I can appreciate that. I would have been saying the same thing. It was sincere. It was sincere. In fact, even after they had been given the law and Moses explained to them in chapters 24 of Exodus, verses 3 and 7, twice they say, we're still going to do it. Whatever you say, we will do it. What were the results? Well, as you look through the, the, the narrative of the nation of Israel, they disobeyed. They did evil. They hardened their hearts against God. They did what was right in their own eyes. Oh, there's a whole book about that. They succumbed. Have you got the nation of Israel succumbed to idol worship. They worshipped the gods around them rather than the God that freed them from captivity. It got so bad. God's treasure possession got so bad that God had to intervene. And then you read of the captivity and the exile. Be holy for I am holy is the call for you and me this morning. From God, just like Israel, it's our responsibility to point people to the Lord. That's all, just point them. We don't have to save people, we don't have to convince them, we don't have to convict them, just point Tell them about the Lord. It's God's, it's the Spirit's job to convict and convince. How are we to do that? By our words, by our deeds. The way that we live reveals to people how wonderful God is, the change he can make in our life, the hope that he can give, the joy he brings. It's our responsibility. You know, it talks about in the script in the in the in the New Testament we're to be living epistles read of all men. That's a bit of old language, but what we need to be we need to be living ads. That's what we need to be. We need to advertise the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to advertise salvation. Now wrong one. I told Steve that if I had to go backwards I'd be in trouble. People that know me well here would agree that I don't like paraphrased Bibles. I don't. But, you know, I think that if I was to paraphrase Leviticus 11.44, it would be, be different, 
for I am different. That would help me to understand what God requires. Helps me understand what holiness is. So, if that's the case, is it an unfair expectation of the Lord Jesus Christ of you and me this morning to be holy? I don't think so.